Hello, I am Cody Ellingham and this is the Transformation of Value podcast. Today I talk with Brandon Boucher, a Bitcoiner based in New Zealand, working on several Bitcoin related projects and an important figure in the local Kiwi Bitcoin community. We zoom out to discuss the recent high on-chain transaction fees and what we can expect from discussions about scaling solutions moving forward. We talk about how rough consensus works for making changes to Bitcoin and what the situation was like during the period of the block size wars and SegWit activation from 2015 to 2017. Finally, we discuss the importance of education and support for self-custody of Bitcoin. Now this is our last show for 2023. It has been a big year and I want to thank everyone for listening and being part of the journey. If you have questions or would like to reach out, my emails are always open. Hello at thetransformationofvalue.com If you want to support the show, please consider leaving a review or just sharing one of your favorite episodes with someone who you think may enjoy it. Otherwise, on to the show. Uh, been alright, man. Yeah, it's busy trying to uh, juggle my regular job and starting a new business and uh, kids are just getting on holiday since today's been a little bit of a bit of a juggle but we're here yeah it's it's been a strange time i've had a lot to think about in terms of bitcoin stuff and i'm sure we'll get into this today but there's certainly been something in the air that i haven't felt this way for 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 a long time oh i don't think i've ever felt this way about um things related to bitcoin and i I think we'll get into what that means in a moment but i mean you've been in the space a lot longer than me talking about what's happening with the fee market talking about um, just the the emergence of different actors, different narratives coming out. I'd say like a sense of confusion. Overall, like what what's your 40,000 foot view on kind of where we're at right now and, and like what, what is even going on? Because I think it's also not super clear. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Brandon? Uh, I mean, in terms of what's going on, I think we're seeing early signs of what is the inevitable progression of the way that the main chain in bitcoin works um you know we have an open permissionless system uh it's it's something that anyone can join and and do what they like as long as they follow the rules uh and as it gains popularity um there's going to be both demand and competition for for utilizing bitcoin and there's going to be some friction over how you might or should use it um i think the arguments over whether you know, what we're seeing in general in terms of what people think the right or wrong way to use Bitcoin is, is sort of immaterial. Um, they're still useful conversations because, you know, the conversation can point us in the right direction in terms of you know, what should be built and the direction we should go. But uh, they're not that material in terms of like who should win the fight in the short term and, and who's right or wrong. It's ultimately we'll see the market play out. And, you know, the beautiful thing about the the Bitcoin ecosystem is that, you know, in order to participate, you do have to pay for it, right? Like if there's demand for a certain role or function in the Bitcoin network, um, paying fees in order to, you know, demand block space is something that uh, you're going to have to do in order to participate. And uh, you know the most valuable use cases for that particular space will play out, and and the rest will play out how they need to play out to get their job done. Yeah, I, I think what's been on my mind, you know, wandering around and thinking about this is 
I've only really got second-hand knowledge of what took place with the block size wars, reading the book and talking to people about it and understanding how there was this period of confusion. And I, I imagine that was pre-Segwit. And so the way you measured transaction fees may have been different uh, or it was different. But what we're seeing today where you can log on to the mempool.space or you can see what your your own mempool looks like you see the amount of transactions that are waiting, you know, three, 400 sets per V-byte. And that's a very different situation to where we were, say, earlier in the year. And I think for mm-hmm. a lot of people, that's really confusing. It's sort of, well, what what does this mean? I, I want to open a Lightning channel and it's costing me $20. Or, you know, what's what's all of this mean for the assumptions we had for how things scale and is there criticisms of those assumptions that we can make now or that we will perhaps make soon in, in the sense that our, our 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 way we thought it would play out maybe hasn't quite played out in the same way? I know that's a bit vague, but is there anything to go on with that? Yeah, I, I think there is something to go on with that. I mean, I, I was around during the block size wars and I, I remember it vividly. That was, you know, I, I actually bought my first Bitcoin, you know, good bit before that but that was the period where it really started paying attention um and you know that was a confusing time for me um i was i was sort of you know in early in my learning journey and i think arguments from both sides at various times over the course of that period did capture me um and i think ultimately what convinced me ultimately what convinced me was you know which version of the narrative won in the marketplace but uh, before that, uh, I, w- I was convinced by, you know, the the affinity for decentralization being the most important aspect to making a system that's robust and can survive into the future, right? Um, but during that period, I was, you know, swayed by people who, you know, thought that we might lose pace on adoption if we didn't cater to certain, you know, commercial elements and, and if we, you know slowed the ability for people to use Bitcoin for payments that it would cause a ton of friction. And and that was true. Um, it, it, and it did, you know, in that time we had, you know, large commercial players accepting uh, on-chain Bitcoin payments and, and those faded away as it became clear that the, the main chain wasn't the place where that was going to take place. Um, during that time, we also saw evidence that this was coming, right? This, this being, congestion, if we want to call it that, um, demand for block space is the better way to say it. Um, you know, we got had to high fees during that time period and, and that's when the, the fight really became a fever pitch. Um, I think one of the things we need to be careful of though, is that our assumptions that we carry during the bear market that we've had, you know, over the last 18 months, you know, our assumptions, if they're grounded on that, that period in time are grounded on a period in time that's not reflective of what's going to happen in the future. You know, mm-hmm. if you listen to, you know, the people who really, you know, you really respect in the Bitcoin ecosystem and, and uh, you know, really think about what global adoption looks like. Um, it seems inevitable that the base chain will be uh, under significant demand. Um, and, then when you think about that and project it forward, it is relatively straightforward to see what kind of impact that's going to have on things like the Lightning Network and things like, um, you know, all of the all of the places where we place our hopes on on scaling. Um, 
the Lightning Network is still, you know, the dream of, you know, the cypherpunk Bitcoiners is to ground a sovereign system into the base chain, but, you know, to make it more accessible. And that Lightning did achieve that, but because it is tied to the base chain in the way that it is, it still will come with some of the limitations to base chain, right? Um, I think, you know, f grounding some of this stuff, there's a few assumptions at play that we just like the fees will rise that we need to play forward. You know, the price will rise, um, hash rate will continue to grow. Um, they'll continue to seek sources of cheap energy. And those sources of cheap energy are severely untapped even today. Um, so that's going to continue to grow. Um, you know, we have, as Bitcoin adoption grows um, and hash rate grows, you know, the marginal cost for mining will ultimately gravitate towards the revenues they're seeing. Um, we'll have miners turning on and off. You know, I think if you think through all of those, you know, you point all those arrows into the future and start drawing some circles about what it looks like, I think you get a clear picture of where it goes. But the important part is grounding your assumptions in a bear market where everything's slow and then being surprised when it changes. It's natural, but it is something we got to we got to try to avoid if we're going to build the future. We got to look forward. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I mean, looking at the mining stats, um, looking at usage, um, looking at fiat price, all of these things are, you know, they're heading in a, in a direction um, that is very positive. And I think mm -hmm. that that's and and, that, and that's been happening for for a little while now. Um, but I, I think the thing that has given me the most pause for thought, really, I almost want to call it the political science of Bitcoin, and that's a very contentious kind of way of looking at it. But the way that narratives and proposals and, and things like BIPs and, and this idea of rough consensus are built and how they're, how they're discussed because there is no hard logical mechanism for those things to be merged in. They're, they're ultimately sophistry and the ability to convince people through you know, tweets and, and writing articles and maybe writing up a scope, uh, you know, a, a, a reference implementation of something and how those make their way into the ecosystem. And so an example of that is the idea that lightning is this panacea that's going to fix all the problems that that's and then this is coming. This is almost a, a big cash argument that, you know, it's a, a sponsored attack by Blockstream, which, you know, it's it's not true, but that is something to look at that. Look, there's this there's bits that have been there's there's work that's been done to develop lightning and arguably some of the aspects of something like SegWit, which lightning uses and i'm not too sure if it was which one came first but there's there's pull on things at on a layer two level that are being merged in and, and things like covenants uh, which we can maybe talk mm -hmm. about a little bit there's the idea now coming out that's like well look you know we need covenants to fix this and you know you don't want to rush into any of that but what i'm very interested in is how those conversations come together and how because because the the code is still changing and there's still proposals out there, you know there is the idea of ossification, but you know the reality is there's there's stuff to be done still on Bitcoin based layer mm -hmm. and there's code to be written. What code gets written and what gets merged in that that's kind of the human layer that's can can get very messy very quickly. Yeah, uh, it's it's honestly it's a it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, it can be a bit frustrating, um, but I guess starting from a uh, a really fundamental level. Uh, one of the things to remember about, you know, the consensus layer that we build on top of this being 
you know, a human social layer. You know, Bitcoin is nothing but a connection between human individuals. And therefore, you know, that layer is always going to exist. You know, keep in mind that any one of these people who want to see a change can make it themselves, right? They can go and, you know, create the version of Bitcoin that they want to see, but it doesn't become anything unless everyone adopts it, right? And so keeping that in mind, you know, the way that Bitcoin ultimately, you know, adopts change or or draws change into it is through a really messy, ugly social consensus. We've seen it a number of times over the years, Segwit and Taproot, you know, most recently and uh, other consensus changes before that. Um, everyone that I've seen has been uh, a messy fight and, and an ugly argument. And but ultimately, eventually, um, there is enough, uh, you know, consensus around a change that it ends up occurring. And it's not something we can put our finger on. It's not something we can point to. We can say for sure what's going to happen. I have no idea which of these covenant proposals will be implemented, but I would be really surprised if eventually they weren't. Um, I think the ossification camp is, look, there's a lot of arguments to say that, you know, we've, we potentially have what we need as long as we're clever enough to build on top of it. Uh, but I do think that there are, um, a number of use cases, both from a security standpoint and from a, you know, scalability standpoint, um, that are walls we will run into and eventually we will have something where we say, you know, what we really need is the ability to scale this way. Um, and enough people will, will agree that, uh, you know, it almost seems like magic, um, but it, but it ultimately will get pulled in. Um, I think the, this is always the case, you know, we get drug if you watch what's happening on Twitter or whatever medium you're using to view these conversations and arguments, what you see is, you know, just people fighting and uh, in a in what seems like a very unproductive conversation. Um, but I think what ends up happening is eventually that changes. Eventually, we see a very clear conversation about why something is needed and 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 why we're looking forward to implementing it. And and the narrative shifts to some degree. And when that happens, you can see the changes close. So. Uh, it's rough. It's not actually that fun if you're invested in it, uh, to, to try and play along with it, but, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. There's no, you know, ultimately the meaning of Bitcoin for me as a, as a person who values first and foremost, sort of the, the sovereignty aspects that Bitcoin can provide to the world and to the individual is, you know, I can ultimately set my own rules. If that means that I leave the network um, and, you know, I've made a poor choice, that's okay. But every individual that runs a node has that choice too. And I think there's not a better way to do it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I'm just wondering, coming back uh, to the sort of pre-Segwit days, and I do want to just clarify, I think, a few things here that maybe you know about, but the original run-up in fees that took place um that led to some of these arguments around the big block thing, which I'm not, I'm not saying that's a solution in any, in any reality, but that sort of historical moment, how does that relate or how does that compare to the, the fees that we're seeing today for transactions? Do you, do you have any sort of rough metrics on what that was looking like sort of on a relative basis? Um, mentally, I, I really don't have uh, a really 
solid comparison in terms of the magnitude and fees. I mean, I think uh, when fees got high back in those days, I, like most people, stopped transacting on the base layer and, and didn't pay those fees very often, right? Uh, I think I must have paid a twenty dollars fee a couple of times to, you know, to do various things. But okay. um, we're probably on the same. We're in the same order of magnitude. That's that's for certain. Um, so it's not it's not that far off in terms of how scary it was, scary it was and is today. And I, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but what I mentioned before, the idea that uh, something like SegWit, which uh, you know I've only read about really the history of it, I wasn't really uh, there as it was emerging. But how much? Well, was there any input from the idea of something like Lightning at that time, or did that come later? Was there was there dreams that this would unlock other things if we have this soft fork? Yes. Uh, so Lightning was a proposal at that stage. Um, it was the paper for it was written uh, a year or so, uh, at least uh, before the SegWit uh, change was made. However, the SegWit, um, the concept of SegWit in general, had been around uh, a little bit before that. Uh, essentially, you know, there was a there was a purpose for that change um, that was not just about Lightning, but Lightning did need it in order to really function. Mm. Um, the high level, you know, overview on the change is that uh, there were certain ways that, you know, we called it transaction malleability, mm. which is really was a really confusing term for for me at the time, and and you know. These days, I have a better conception of what it means, but but in effect, uh, there are uh, there were at least um, or there still are multiple ways you can uh, construct um, the the data that encodes what's in a transaction. Um, and transaction malleability has effectively meant that once the transaction was broadcast in a certain format, that it might be changed and still be valid in the future, right? Um, before say it's confirmed in the mempool. And that ability to uh, modify the construction of transaction data um, really played games with anyone that needed that construction, uh, that uh, transaction construction data to be consistent, right? So that, at a very high level, that's what it meant. And so if that data were to change, Lightning would you know, throw up on itself and it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were other reasons that that was a problem as well. So, so you know, both sort of happened in parallel. It just so happened that Lightning needed that change in order to function appropriately. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I guess what I'm beginning to, to sort of feel, and this is more of a, a at a social layer, but we're talking about payments, and and it sounds like this is yeah, payments as in you know buying the coffee, right? This is kind of the classic one, cafe, you know, getting a cafe latte, and it's it's the sort of same era of confusion and uh, kind of difficulty that happened during these block size wars, and now we're seeing similar issues where you know. Lightning channels are getting closed. The fees are more than the, the actual value of the channel, or whatever. There's all of these kind of challenges uh, for the payment layer, and I wonder. I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, are we in a situation where you know Bitcoiners are very eager to build, and, and we sort of go ahead and we plow down through this kind of unknown forest of possibilities of what a payment system could look like? But there's still this idea of the store of value. Which is is working fine. Mm-hmm. If you've got a reasonably sized UTXO, that, that, there's no issues there. You know, that's not something to be concerned about in any in any way. And I wonder, you know, it, it, the the fact that those two have kind of come together, the the, the easy payments and then the store of value. You know, we're we're looking at them in the same 
time period right now, but one of them is still mm-hmm. a very early days, you know, kind of like, you know, in the 90s, you saw those like VR headsets and they were in no way practical or, you know, a reality that was accessible. But they, that work needed to happen, that proof of work needed to happen back in the 90s for VR headsets for us to have something like the, you know, the Apple headset today. And I wonder, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's sort of, uh, I mean, that work still needs to happen, but are we still a very long way away from actual consumer engagement with Bitcoin at a layer two sort of level? Or is it still something that's, you know, within reach right now? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I still think it's like, it's something that's in reach. I think what's not available to us with the technology we have today uh, is the cypherpunk dream, right? Uh, That's what we're really being blocked out of by the high fee environment at the moment. Um, if you look at the functioning of Lightning, you know I'm I'm a huge fan of the you know simple self sovereign wallets we've seen launch over the last you know couple of years. Whether it's Phoenix Breeze, Mutiny, Zeus, um, those are all great examples of what could be done. Um, embedding a Lightning node on the phone, you know, sounded like a crazy idea when people first started doing it, but now it's it's doable, right? But the UX on those things in a high fee environment isn't great. Um, and for the regular, you know, user, when I say regular user, I mean, you know, if we expect, you know, the masses to onboard to Bitcoin payments, um, that's not going to be the way they're going to get it done um, right now. Anyway, um, that's still a barrier to entry, um, you know, asking someone to pay a, you know, a high on-chain fee in order to get the availability of incoming payments that, only lasts for so long. Once you get enough of those, you got to pay another one. You know the the UX and the cost of of those um, you know, current situations is it's just not good enough um, to to attract uh, the average person. For for regular Bitcoiners, like if I wasn't running my own node, and uh, if I wasn't running my own node, that's all I would ever use um, because I. But that's partly because I know how they work and I know what to do and I know how to navigate those issues and things like that. And a regular person just won't. So I think what, you know, what we don't have in front of us is the panacea of, you know, um, 8 million self-sovereign individuals transacting with each other over the lightning network. That's, that's infeasible today. And, you know, those are the, that's the kind of thing that we really need changes for in order to see that happen. If we really appreciate that vision and we want to see it happen, um, you know, there's more work to do, a lot more work. Uh, however, um, you know, utilizing the Lightning Network as much as, you know, a lot of people don't like the alternative vision, which is, you know, a custodial vision of the Lightning Network, that's totally possible today. And there are use cases that give, you know, give us the opportunity to deliver value to people in the real world um, in those uh, in those environments, uh, the introduction of eCash to the conversation changes the game a little bit too, um, providing people the potential for privacy in addition to um, utilizing the Lightning Network for payments. So, so there is a path we can go that makes you know the adoption of Bitcoin possible. Um, but the I think what is the ultimate vision for you know Bitcoin broadly, and you know me personally as again, the biggest value I place on the network itself is you know, censorship resistance, first and foremost, the ability to be sovereign, um, that vision is still, you know, still a lot of work to do to get there. Yeah. I mean, uh, thank you for that. I mean, one 
one other thing I've been thinking about, just you know, spending time traveling and kind of observing, you know, wandering through the, the the jungle of the city and sort of seeing how people live and just the different ways people approach, you know, their their daily life. One thing I've really become become to realize is that there's a broader movement of decentralization decentralization that is happening, uh, and Bitcoin is just a tiny piece of that. And you know, I've I've seen examples of. Um, you know, villages being sort of repopulated in Japan with young families who are trying to get out of the city, um, focus on things like permaculture. And, and these kind of ideas are beginning to kind of become a lot more relevant in the just broad mainstream media. You know, the idea of the nine to five and the salary man and these kinds of things, uh, certainly in Japan, China, different parts of the world, that's becoming more and more of a topic. And what that means as well, though, is it's a decentralization of ways of being. And I, I, I realize, you know, the, the, the Bitcoiners with their lightning wallets and their self, uh, you know, their own node and, and their self-custodial, that's a subset of a, a mixture of ways of being, whereas before, you know, you had to be plugged into the central bank system, you had to have a bank account, all of these things. Though some of that stuff's actually going away, and there's actually ways of living now where you don't need to be in that system. Though if you choose to, you can still be in that system. And I think that's one of the big things that stands out to me is that there will, there will always be the, the hoi polloi and, and the class of people who are plugged into that system for their own reasons. And they're just as empowered to continue to be in that system as we are to be in our own system. And what does that mean for interoperability between this kind of custodial world of centralization which isn't going away you know that will always exist and it's existed since the beginning you know there's always been power structures and then people who are choosing to do it their own way which wasn't really possible until now the way those two things communicate and we're seeing things like wallet of satoshi pulling out of the app store mm -hmm. um, we're seeing you know different kind of movements um, you know kind of blue blue bitcoin that's sort of you know it's prescribed and it's only accessible within these certain exchange systems and things like that mm -hmm. How do you, just broadly, I mean, what are your thoughts on on how those two worlds kind of meet? It's a really interesting one. I mean, I think if, I guess it depends on who you talk to. I was going to say the average Bitcoiner, which is a bit of a, you know, non-existent entity. Um, you know, there's people all over the place on this one. As speaking personally, you know, I think the, the inevitable result of that will be on how the incumbent behaves. Uh, it's... Obviously, we're seeing signs that, um, you know, the people who want to see Bitcoin thrive are in for a fight, that people who want to unplug are in for some friction. Uh, and that's unfortunate. It's, um, you know, speaking personally, like as, as someone with a with a family and, you know, a, a, a way of being that I appreciate um, and, you know, being in New Zealand in particular. Uh, that fight is not something that I hope for. Um, you know, I hope to grow a parallel system, you know, find another way to do it and and have those systems coexist. You know, I hope that we as society or a culture would uh, value the emergence of a, of a new way of doing things, assuming that it, you know, wasn't harming people and, uh, you know, but it seems as though it's it's going to be rough. Um, so there's two versions of this I see going forward. It sort of seems like, you know, they're too, either one is that they're too slow and, and that sort of parallel system happens anyway. And, you know, people get plenty of time to on-ramp and make the choices they want to make over time. And, you know, we 
build alongside them anyway because it's too difficult to stop but you know another version is that things get aggressive and you know it's it plays out very differently um that interface is something that i think about a lot um i hope the day never comes where that interface is closed um but i think we also need to prepare for it um but but ultimately the truth is bitcoin doesn't need it it really doesn't um people think that it does because you know you want to transfer value from the place you have it to that to that new place right um i think you can still do that over time you know accept bitcoin in your business accept it personally for the services you're providing um you know live the way that you want to live in the incremental way that you can do it uh it might be slower if there's a fight but you know ultimately the you know closing the off ramps essentially you know circles the wagons and and makes it difficult for people to get out right um that's that's the truth um but it can happen anyway um it's a hard one uh, i don't i don't really know what it looks like i hope it goes the right way yeah. um but i fear it won't yeah i mean i've sort of been thinking a lot more about this and i think uh you know reading about the history of communism for example in china and sort of the the way that emerged and the again coming to the political science of it ultimately talking about populations we're talking about groups of people there is always going to be a political element you know there's no uh, paradise of a perfectly flat society there's always uh, the uh, Pareto distribution and different levels of uh, capacity and power and these kinds of things and I look at the way those systems emerged and the ways they played upon each other and, and you know the chinese communist example is a great you know, a great one to look at you know you had this kind of distraction of the pacific war and then at that time the, the communists were able to work away on the back end and just sort of start undermining the structures of society and there was a whole lot of moving parts and the actual technology there wasn't really that you know there wasn't anything it was purely that sophistry layer and we're seeing that now starting to emerge and it's it's things like these cbdc's that are happening on the horizon i had a really great chat with um a guy mm -hmm. uh, based in india um about the system they've got and i went into an indian restaurant here in in japan and they had the upi you know universal payment interface the qr code right there for basically the indian cbdc and mm -hmm. that that's now real you know um we've got all of these kind of moving parts, and then then there's, there's this kind of engineered um, kind of Bitcoin system, which very much is the contender. It's it's on the outside. It's it's kind of the underground, and you meet people and they get it, and you instantly can connect with them. And it it's kind of this this group, this kind of dispersed group of people who are operating on this other way. And with that with that, there's a lot of other ideas that come in, and it's it's very. Um, it's very dangerous to the status quo to have that kind of discourse taking place. They don't like it, I don't think, you know. And I'm not super conspiracy minded, mm -hmm. but it's um, it, it's it's this kind of uh, on the edges. It's sort of biting at the heels. It's sort of causing frustration. But will most people ever be aware of what it means? I, I just don't know. Um, the, the, the media layer, that kind of mass media layer is still extremely powerful compared to what Bitcoin's able to muster, despite the economic incentives, because, you know, you look at communism, you know, that it was nobody's economic incentive to be part of that system, yet it was the, the status quo for, you know, for a billion people for, you know, 50, 60 years, and it still is in mm -hmm. China, um, but, you know, with the Soviet Union. And so 
economics won't always win out if you've got this political class and this sophistry that's um, overpowering. That's true. Um, but in Bitcoin's case, I think the primary thing it needs to do is survive. Um, I think um, the reason that I say that is, is being having been around for a while, witnessing you mentioned the the media or the or the behavior of the political class like that's more significantly over time you know the and i guess what that gives me is you know some hope that we're actually succeeding you know my, early in my days in, in bitcoin i sort of had a feeling that it was um perhaps going to be a useful tool for people that wanted to you know put a middle finger up to the system and and avoid it and do their own thing and and therefore its cap would be sort of a exactly an underground mechanism by which people could um you know go around things and but it took me a long time to get to the place where i actually think it it could succeed on a grand level um and you know i go back and forth on whether or not that's true but what i mean by that it just needs to survive is that narrative shift has been just huge um early on when i was paying attention you know mostly it was mocked it was dismissed and you know, there were no serious people, in quotes, you know, talking about Bitcoin anywhere. Um, and then eventually you started seeing it might be an asset class. It might be a store of value. You know, recently we've had big names in finance, you know, start talking about it as a flight to quality. And, you know, those narratives have shifted over time simply because it's existed, right? It's existed and demonstrated something to people and and people have changed their minds about it in a in a real way. Now, it's not complete. Like there's more to Bitcoin than just being a store of value, right? The the censorship resistance aspect of it, the other totems that make Bitcoin what it is still exist and they they haven't won that fight. You know, you don't see people on the news talking about, you know, if you don't want anyone to tell you, you know, when you can just transact and who you can transact with, you know, Bitcoin is the thing you need. Like that's not a that's not a wide ranging conversation. That's not something that happens very often, but that's what I'm looking out for. You know, over the next five to seven years, when we see, you know, people talking about avoiding the friction of the existing system out in the open in ways that surprise you, like that's the narrative shift that occurs. And so it's taken a long time to get from just mockery to maybe it's a store of value if you're, uh, you know, risk, you know, your risk appetite is appropriate. Um, and that's just step one, right? So it's going to take some time to make that shift and to get there, I think, you know, existence and survival is really what it needs to do to make a demonstration that that shifts more and more people to thinking about it a different way. Yeah, I, I think along those lines, uh, sort of what I was trying to allude at before is I, I think there's a lot of things happening at the same time. You know, you've got these kind of layer two systems, some of them are a lot more experimental than others. Um, there's all of this kind of development happening and you and I are, are very much close to that and we see what's going on there. But if mm -hmm. you really go back to a store of value argument, I still think maybe it's almost a the time to to reconsolidate what that means because I've had conversations with Japanese friends, people over here, um, the idea of self-custody. And, and, and even then, I, I still think that there's room to grow that educational aspect of that. What does that mean? I, I find sometimes I struggle to really communicate like even what those words mean, whether it's in English or, or Japanese or any language, it's sort of mm -hmm. coming back to that because maybe you're not buying a coffee with Lightning and running your own uh, your, your own hardware and stuff, but if you've got self-custody of your Bitcoin, then you are now 
one step closer to that self-sovereignty. And I think it's almost like time time perhaps to go back to some of these baby steps because mm-hmm. it's not as simple as the 12 or 24 words, I don't think, because there is now this other added idea that you need to understand your UTXO size. You, there's just a, a, there's a few, not, not that many, but there is a small list of things that you need to be competent with to be self-custodying. Mm-hmm. And I think it's become clear to me that maybe there's just – a bit more that needs to be uh, written or, or talked about in terms of education on that stuff because with the price, the number go up, all of that stuff, that classic kind of mechanism that gets people into Bitcoin, once they start holding it, then they can learn about the other kind of stuff on the leading edge. But the basic kind of mode is to, to hold Bitcoin, to hold it on your own private, you know, with your own private keys and then go from there. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the the education piece is important. Um, I also think there's more work to do on on that side of things, on the self custody side of things. Um, I mean, we see we've seen over the last number of years new models, you know, emerge. Right. Um, you know, I've pretty much always held my own keys. At one point, I did trial a collaborative custody model um, for for my family's wealth because started getting concerned about inheritance and and start trying to figure out how that would work um so there's new things coming on board give people new ways to do even self-custody right like even if you're doing collaborative custody with another business still in your control you just have a little bit of help um you know in those scenarios your 12 to 24 words become a little bit less important um it's it's or a little less vital to do it in the same way i think we're traditionally um, used to doing it you know, this is still miles and miles better than what it was back in, say, 2013, where all you had was a wallet.dat file that you encrypted with a password. And, you know, that string that it had in it was really the thing that mattered. Like, nobody, like, I didn't understand that at the time. Uh, I knew I had a password and a file, and that, that's all I really knew. Um, the, the point I'm making is that there is two prongs. Like, we we do need to help the people who are looking at self-custody today better understand what they need to do. Um, But I also think there's still a lot of space for us to create the new financial system, right? There's a a lot of space for us to create something that's more approachable, um, something that, um, you know, I don't think we necessarily need to make the things that people would see as native today, but we do need to make it something that um, they understand and, and look, you know, can, you know, have less resistance to using. Um, it is, I was going to say it's not easy. The truth is that it's, that it's really not that hard. Uh, I think you need a holding, you need a, you need a good handholding though, um, to get people over that, that barrier to, to, to know the difference between what the password in your bank account does and, and what your 12 to 24 words do and what your UTXOs are like it does take some coaching. Um, but once you understand it, like it's, it's, it's really not that bad. And I think, yeah, the big thing I think more valuable than the education of what's going on today is the continued development of what makes it possible for, you know, someone to self custody um, and present it to them in a way that they're, they're happy to take on. Yeah. I think that's been kind of the 
the, the same conclusion I've had in these conversations. You know, a couple of people now have said to me, "Hey, actually, I do have some Bitcoin, but it's on, you know, this exchange or that exchange." And, and I and I come out and say, "Hey, you know, have you thought about self custody?" And, and then I I just try and dive into my mind and and go right back to the beginning and be like, "Okay, well, what does that even mean?" And I mean, it is an ongoing conversation, and it's it's evolved in, mm-hmm. in many ways, and and I think it's certainly a lot easier than it was back in the early days. Um, but still, there is a, a mode of thinking about that thing where you you have to take responsibility for it, and there's situations where yeah, that does require some hand holding or some sort of way in which that particular person isn't directly taking responsibility, but they're delegating it to someone they trust who who can take responsibility for the technology and the mm-hmm. uh, the way of securing that uh, those private keys. And so I, I, I feel like almost going back to that because this current uh, malaise that I'm kind of in, in this kind of end of year kind of recollection of what's happened and where we're at, a lot of that is looking at the, the stuff on the leading edge, as I said, lightning and you know the fee markets and all of that stuff. But that doesn't really matter if you've got, again, reasonably sized UTXOs and you've got your own private keys. Bitcoin is all good. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe lightning, um, there, there's some work to do, some uh, you know maybe some covenant stuff, whatever that happens in the next couple of years that enables that at a, at a larger scale. But the basic use case of store of value kind of gold bars on the internet sort of thing that's still fully fully fine and uh, there's no real threats there um, and so I think yeah I, I guess I've just been going through this process of kind of making those two understanding those two as so yeah as you say two prongs and two sort of um, two sides of it yeah yeah I think something you mentioned there I think is really important to point out like my my vision for what I'd like to see happen is is feels like a bit of a pipe dream, but like, you know, in addition to the handholding, I hope there's a lot of uncle Jim's out there. I hope there's a lot of people who have already been on the journey who are willing to help their friends and family through, through their process. Right. Um, I mean, I'm doing that for a few of my family members, um, where, you know, I run the hardware, um, I've taken responsibility, um, at least in part to help them through that. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that is what some people will take, right. You know, uh, I really like that vision of a future in which Bitcoin is, uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoiners are in a situation where someone who has been to the journey is helping take responsibility for the, their loved ones and the people they care about. Um, the, the idea of, uh, at the foundation of Fediments is a really interesting idea because, you know, their vision of, you know, community members acting, uh, in a position of of responsibility for the people around them, the people that know them, uh, and and you know helping through that journey of self custody is, I think, an important one to get people over this transition, so that while they see the value proposition of Bitcoin, they may not be ready to jump over that wall of taking re- this responsibility on. And and if you know we as members of the community, you know, can you know build toward a future where you know helping people through that journey is is part of the journey, then I think that's that we're all better for it. Yeah. Well, I think along those lines, again, looking at the historical example of countries that have had uh, financial uh, meltdowns or some sort of calamity and, and war and that sort of thing, you see the kind of the, the family often comes together as the support structure. And it's not necessarily a nice image um, of of the way things might be, but yeah, if if your if your currency is failing um, and you need some help, you know, mm-hmm. 
that, that's a lot more pressing than than a bit of fun and speculative investment in this kind of uh, this whole crypto thing that it currently maybe it sort of exists in that space. But when it's actually like, hey, we you know we need to leave the country or we're, we're not, we can't afford food or there's some sort of real humanitarian pressing crisis, that's when I think you see uh, family and these kind of support structures emerge. And maybe that's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, again, it's not a very nice future, but um, maybe that's something we see. And it's like, look, I'll, you know, I'll get my cousin to help set me up with this thing because it is a life or death kind of situation. Uh, yeah. And I wonder if that building the technology that enables that is also important, making that easy to, um, you know, e- e- easy to understand, easy to deploy, um, easy to roll out for friends and family. Yeah. I mean, I think, I- I completely agree. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think though that it has to be under dire circumstances that this is the result. I think one of the reasons why we don't do this today um, is, you know, in, in a large part because of the system that we live in, right? Not just, you know, I'm not just getting into the to the weeds on, you know, the corruption of, of fiat to the to the culture. I'm I'm really getting into that it wasn't feasible for, you know, me to hold, you know, a, a gold vault for my neighbors and my family it wasn't it wasn't feasible for me to run banking services in the way that we have constructed them now um you know the the velocity of money you know that was required that ultimately created the need for paper money and and sort of led us down this path has has created an environment where this wasn't feasible but you know i'm reminded of uh one of my favorite Twitter threads of all time from Cali. No, I'm from Cali. It's from Black Coffee, one of the Ellen Bits um, contributors, where he, uh, he he talked about how screwed the banks were because you know one guy in his closet running a simple piece of hardware um, was conducting transactions for people all over the world, including in Africa. And you know, it's it's a really it was a really cool idea and, and got me attracted to it because that's possible. Like. I'm doing it. I'm doing the same thing out of my closet, not for thousands of people, but for for people I know. And and I could never do that in the existing system, right? I think your family never had the capability of being that person for you, um, and now they could. Yeah. Well, I, I think as well. One of the um, I had an interesting conversation with someone talking about Fiddy and Fiddy Mint and, and sort of the possible connection between some of this regulatory action you're seeing um, that's sort of led to people like Wallet of Satoshi pulling out of, of the App Store in the, in the United States and the sort of uh, chilling effect on custodial solutions, which for many people is, is an easy easy peasy way to, to get give it a go is to try something out like Wallet of Satoshi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's a cool talking point for, for you know showing something in, 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 in two minutes, right? But the idea that Fediment and and these sort of federations are a way of enabling that kind of functionality in a distributed way. So you could have a custodial, well, uh, semi-custodial lightning setup that you know anyone could kind of join, but it's not centralized in some kind of app store or, or some kind of choke point where it can be taken away. And there, there's this the person I was talking to is sort of explaining that that's kind of seeming like where they're trying to take the Fedi federation sort of approach i don't what are your thoughts on Mm -hmm. that yeah that's exactly right i mean i think um if you're not following the rules of your jurisdiction and frankly if you're not following the rules of the united states you're gonna have a hard time running a uh, custodial solution yeah um 
it's a, it's a, a centralized custodial solution. Um, you know, we've seen the story actually play out over and over again as far as exchanges are concerned. Um, even exchanges that have tried not to operate in you know, U.S. jurisdictions um, have still got the thumb pressed on them over time. People have gone to jail. Um, it's, you know, the arm of the regulatory, you know, apparatus is long and and will reach out when you get big enough. Mm. Um, so I think those those types of solutions might exist, into, you know, you know mo- more than likely will exist into the future as long as they're following, you know, the rules of the system they're operating in. But if you are you know, one location that someone can press a thumb on, you should be looking out for that thumb because it's coming. Um, So everyone should be keeping that in mind as we look forward into the future. I think the beauty of these um, federated systems is that, you know, one entity isn't some, someone that can, a thumb can be placed on, right? They, you know, one entity can drop out of a federation and the whole system can continue. Um, if you split that federation up into multiple jurisdictions, you can play arbitrage games with that. Um, there, there are a number of really interesting things about those models that make it possible to, to deliver a, you know, a UX, a, a holding hand as we've been we've been talking about, um, and do it in a way that is, you know, seems like it has the chance to survive certainly longer than than centralized custodial solutions. Yeah, and I like the idea of of packaged solutions as well. You know, I mean, as a kind of visual UX person, you know, stuff like Umbral, um, you know, these kind of systems, and and even some of the hardware packages that are out there, um, I, I think are really cool. You know, you don't have to go really deep into the command line and, and run all the stuff, though. You can if you want to, but for someone, you know, that I have this vision of of sort of, you know, there's this kind of thing that you can buy that you have in the house that just does it, you know, and it's it's open source and it's all. Mm-hmm. You know, legit in that sense, but it's um, you know, it's not a, a hodgepodge of different things that you have to configure. It just kind of works, and that's the kind of uh, product design that you know, it's it, it could just be this you know, this thing that is literally in in your closet that you plug into the Wi-Fi and it works, and it gives you this, this kind of um, mm-hmm. uh, this ability to be self-sovereign for you and your family. I, I think there's some really cool stuff out there starting to emerge, like quite polished products um, that have the goods and I think that will only increase over time uh, more and more of that sort of thing. Completely agreed. Um, I mean, I have used things like Umbral here and there um, over the years. I, I ended up running my own nodes on other things, but you know, that's the thing that I really appreciate about what they're doing is, you know, it's an, it's gives you the capability, uh, frankly, it's nearly there in terms of giving a regular person the capability of providing these uncle Jim services, right? Like it's, uh, it's, it's not quite there. There's still work to do, but you know, it's, you can see it in the distance and that's an amazing thing to see. Um, it's, it's really cool. Um, so I think, you know, as we were talking about with self custody, um, as we were talking about with the evolution of, of lightning solutions and, and everything like that, I think we, we do have to keep a, you know, strong eye on, you know, the difference between the world we see today and the, and the world we're headed toward, right? We need to we need to see the difference between the solutions that work now for Bitcoiners and the solutions that will work in the future for, for the next wave. Um, but you can see the answers, right? That's, that's one of the encouraging things. A couple of years ago with Lightning, 
if you thought about the high fee environment and what that might look like, the answers to what we might do instead weren't really there. It sort of it sort of seemed like it was it was not quite a dead end, but like it was a little bit more scary, right? Um, mm -hmm. Now with some of the base layer solutions, these package solutions that people can pick up and really can use um, out of the box, you know, you can start to see answers, even if we don't know exactly which ones will play out, but that's, yeah. that's what we need to do. We, you know, there will be wrong answers, right? We'll take, we'll take wrong paths and, and some of these solutions will not work. Um, but that's the point of some of them will. And, you know, the ones that survive into the future, again, the name of the game for Bitcoin is survival. Uh, and as long as it does that, uh, it's going to find a way through. I like it, man. Um, Brandon, what, well, coming coming to the the end of the year, um, I mean, what what are you excited for, uh, looking towards twenty twenty four more broadly, or Bitcoin specifically? What's um, what's got your attention? Man, more broadly, um, more broadly, I am worried to be honest. So I, I probably won't spend a lot of time on that. I you know I look around and and see a lot of reasons to not so much be frightened, but to be cautious, right? About the world that's emerging. Um, and, you know, so so looking back at Bitcoin, I think there's a there's a handful of things that I'm really looking forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, well, I'm looking forward to the bull market, but, you know, I think that's, that's gonna be nice for everyone uh, to sort of, you know, again, see the next wave of people coming online, seeing new ideas and, and seeing you know, having a wider conversation about sovereignty. I'm looking forward to, you know, our future scaling debate when things have settled in, um, when people, you know, we were talking about consensus earlier and the thing we really need is is the grand idea that everyone wants, that one of these things enables. I'm looking forward to that conversation. Um, you know, the next grand idea that just as SegWit and uh, Lightning held hands, um, covenants one of those proposals will hold hands with some grand idea and that's that's what i'm looking forward to over the next year um and lastly i think you know i'm i think the future is bright here and and we just need to see you know what happens next uh i'm i'm looking forward to people realizing that the fees are going to be high forever uh and and that we need to look forward to, to the solutions that work in that environment um there's a lot of things to be excited about on, on our side of things and, and some caution to be, you know, viewed on, on the other side of the fence. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's see it go. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, uh, a bit of cautious optimism, uh, and optimistically be cautious about the future. I don't know. It's, um, there's a lot of stuff happening, but, um, Bitcoin, I mean, it's still, it, it feels like it's all happening. Um, it's all coming together. Um, let's just not do anything right now when it's sort of the frothy chaos. I think it's just a wait and see case um, with this whole situation. It's um, it's a strange, funny time, but I think as time passes, it will become a lot clearer what that thing needs to be. Um, and yeah, no, no real major. I mean, Bitcoin just keeps going, man. And if it, as, as long as it continues to keep doing that, um, the miners keep doing their thing, people run their nodes, it just keeps working. I think, yeah, the uh, Lindy effect takes care of it. And um, I, I like it. It just needs to survive. Um, mm -hmm. But hey, Brandon, I appreciate your time. Um, I think we covered some good stuff today. Um, it's certainly given me a bit more to think about. Um, a little bit of, a little bit of optimism, actually. I think I was just getting a little bit 
in my head around sort of this uh, some of this leading edge stuff around where lightning's going but again i think just give it time um and it will all become a lot clearer yeah this has been great man uh, i i've really enjoyed it um yeah that's the important part it's not so much sit back and wait and watch it's you know look forward and and see you know what's going to change under the pressure of what's in front of us right it's it's to think about you know, what those vectors head towards and uh and then try and build that direction too right be ready to pounce when the time is right yeah yeah all right man well thanks brandon i appreciate it and uh, let's keep in touch yeah thanks, thanks man, man. All right. Thank you for listening. I do hope you enjoyed the show. I am Cody Ellingham and that was the transformation of value. If you would like to get in touch, please send me an email at hello at the transformation of value.com and I will get back to you.